0: to Ati. We've got two daughters, Lois and Joella. Um, Lois is three, Joella is almost one, and they keep us on our toes. Um it is my privilege, but also my absolute dread <laughs> to be speaking to you this afternoon. And this is not a joke. The sum total of my preaching experience is 10 minutes <laughs> from my previous church, so it is really not a joke. Now at this juncture, I was expecting somebody to just shout, the Lord is with you, brother. <laughs> well, there you go. You are too nice. Well, thank you. Now. If you have been around over the last few weeks, you would know that we've been in a series called All In. And we are looking at how we build a community for God, looking at the example of the early church. Now Owen and Dave, in successive um, preaches over the last couple of weeks, have explained to us how the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread. And today I'm going to be speaking to you about the the last part of it, which is not really the last part because this is not the final bit of it. There's another one called generosity, which Owen is going to talk about next week. But the early church devoted themselves to these things because they knew the importance of them. And so as I speak to you about prayer, it is my hope that the good Lord will to something in your heart and in my heart as well. Now the early church devoted themselves to prayer because of a certain basis, a certain foundation. Because we all bear the image of a relational God who has called us into a relationship with Himself. Now, I say God is a relational God because we see that in the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit and they coexist in perfect unity and perfect love. And we see an example of that in the Bible. In Matthew 3, 16 and beyond, when Jesus Christ went to be baptized by John, scripture says that after his baptism, when he came out of the water, God, the Holy Spirit, descended on him like a dove. And God the Father proclaimed, "This is my beloved Son, in which I am well pleased." And so you could see God the Father honouring God the Son. You see God the Holy Spirit honouring God the Son. And God God the Son was all about honouring God the Father, as we see throughout Scripture. He mentions in several places, "I have come to do my Father's will." And so you see that they relate to each other. There is a relational quality to God. But the good Lord, in his great mercy, gave us that quality too, that relational quality. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, Scripture says this, and this is when God was creating mankind. He said, again, God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, He created them. And so we bear that relational quality of God. And that is why all of us desire to be loved. We all desire to receive affection from somebody. Whether it's from our our family or from our friends, we have a desire inbuilt in us. But we also desire to give affection to people. And that is because of that relational quality that God has given to us. And so we yearn to relate to God as well. And we do that at two levels. One is at a personal level. And the reason why we relate to God on a personal level, it's because all of us, each and every one of us, is a child of God. That is what Romans eight fifteen says. And I read that. The spirit you received does not make you slaves, so that we live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Again in John chapter 1, verse 12, Scripture says, He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so we are children of God. But I do know, that a child desires to be around his parents. I know Lois and Joella, they desire to be around me. And when they do, I delight in that. Nothing delights me more than when they are around my, you know, my, my, my feet, making all sorts of noises, scratching me, wanting my attention, because they relate to me as their father and in the same way each and every one of us has to relate to our father who is in heaven because we are children of God that is what Scripture says but we also relate to God at a corporate level at a church level why because we are his bride that is what Scripture says. First Corinthians chapter twelve, verse twenty-seven. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. So we are His body, collectively, together. And I remember when I was engaged to what. That time was the most intense time of engagement between the two of us before we got married. We were constantly talking, constantly in communication, looking towards the day when we are joined together, as husband and wife. And we must be doing the same thing. We are His bride. And so we have to collectively be looking to the day when we are joined together with Christ. And that means we have to actively engage together with Jesus Christ. It is the only way in which we grow with the relationship that we have with him. So we relate to him as children individually. We engage with Him, we talk to Him, we have communication with Him. And that is why all of us must pray individually, whatever we are, but at the same time we relate to Him as the body of Christ, as His bride. And in devoting ourselves to prayer, we nurture and grow the relationship that we have with Him. brothers and sisters, if we do not strengthen the relationship we have with God, we will find that the world will move in. But we know that our desires and our needs cannot be met by the world. The world offers us things that will never satisfy us. And that is why our desire to commune with God has to be even greater. The 19th century Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon, which Owen has often quoted, said this when commenting about prayer. He said, You will observe that the desire to commune with God is intensified by the failure of all other sources of consolation. There is no substitute to prayer. There is no substitute to that desire, a yearning to be with God. And so we must desire even more to do so. But we must also see prayer as our act of worship. Now, Some Christians believe that prayer is the medium, the means through which they come to God to ask for things, or they come to God when they are in difficulty. That is true. But that is not the essence of prayer at all. Prayer is the medium through which we worship God. And so when we come to pray, our focus has to be on praising God before anything else. And if you look at the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that Jesus Christ himself taught us to pray, he said this, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now that is half of the entire prayer that Jesus Christ taught us to pray. You've got 10 phrases in there, five of them. just honors God before anything else. And then after that, he mentions our dependence and the fact that we have to realize that we have to depend on God for everything. So he's going to do our daily bread. And God forgiven us for our transgressions and our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And so when we come to pray, we must see prayer as our act of worship. And that is important. The people of God throughout history have always prayed. In the Old Testament, we see the prayer of Hannah. Hannah. Hannah was married to an Ephraimite called Elkanah. But Elkanah also had a wife, another wife, called Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah couldn't bear children. And Scripture says they had a a tradition of going to pray in another city every year. And year after year after year, Peninnah will mock Hannah for her inability to conceive. One day, Hannah, who was a woman of God, went to God and she poured out her heart. She prayed alone as an individual. Scripture says in her deep anguish, this is from first Samuel chapter one, verses ten to thirteen, in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head." As she kept on praying to the Lord, the priest at the place where they've gone to pray observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. She prayed a deep prayer. And God, who hears everything, who hears his people, when they call upon him, came. Because we know that not long after that, the Lord opened Hannah's womb and she conceived a son who would go on to become a great man of God, Samuel, the prophet. When the people of God pray, the Lord comes. And he answers them. When the Israelites were in slavery in Egypt, Scripture tells us that their condition was so bad that they began to cry out to the Lord as a people together. I want to read this from Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 to 25. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help, because of their slavery, went up to God. God heard their groaning and remembered his servant, his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and Jacob, who were the ancestors of the Israelites who had gone to Egypt. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Again, we know how the story ended. In time, God appointed Moses to go and lead them out of their slavery, of their shame. Friends, when the people of God pray, God comes. When they devote themselves to prayer, God comes, and God listens. And God answers. David, a man who knew God like no other, when he had been set on the throne of Israel, decided in his heart to build a temple, a place for the Lord to rest and to to live amongst his people. But the Lord told him, you are a warrior. You shed too many blood or too much blood. It is your son, Solomon, who will build the temple for me. In time, Solomon succeeded his father David and he built a great temple for the Lord. And when the time came to dedicate the temple to the Lord, Solomon called the entire people He gathered them together. And he stood before them. And he did something which we don't often do. Something that has challenged me as I was preparing for this. Scripture says Solomon, the great king, fell on his knees and began to praise God to lift up his hands. He opened his hands like that. In front of the assembly of God, he fell down on his knees and prayed and led the people. Amongst what he said, he said this, Now arise, O Lord God, and come to your resting place. You and the ark of your might. May your priest, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation. May your saints rejoice in your goodness. O Lord God, do not reject your anointed one. Remember the great love promised to David, your servant. And scripture says this, when Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple The priest could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground. They followed suit, as Solomon had done. And they gave thanks to God, saying, He is God. His love endures forever. There are so many times when I've been at prayer meetings, sometimes praying by myself in my own house, and I've felt a prompting to kneel to humble myself and I've said to myself I've got trousers on I don't want them to be dirty there is no point in kneeling I can pray standing I say this to my own shame but we must reverence the Lord when we come before him as the people of God did Now, the early church, they knew all of this. They knew that when the people of God gather to pray, the Lord comes to them and the Lord answers them. They knew that prayer is an act of worship. They knew they are utter dependent on the Lord. And so we see it in in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to prayer. And there are examples of them. After Pentecost, when Peter and John were going to the temple to pray, the Bible tells us that at the gate, they met a man, a 40-year-old man, born unable to walk, who was often placed there so he can ask people for money. And so when when he saw Peter and John, he expected to be given money. But he looked upon him, and Peter said, silver and coin, we do not have. But what we have we give to you in the name of Jesus the Nazarene, rise up and walk. And he did immediately. And the people were amazed at what had happened. What is this that with a command this man actually is able to to, to raise someone born crippled to walk? And so Peter proceeded to, to preach a great sermon telling them about Christ Jesus, that it, was, it is only because of Christ Jesus that the man walks. And that in him they can find, they can find salvation, that they can look forward to the, to the day of the resurrection when Christ comes again. But then we know, Scripture says, the chief priests and the rabbis and the authorities and the Sadducees, they heard that too. And they thought, no, we don't want you guys to preach in the name of Jesus Christ. Don't mention his name. We've got our own traditions. And so they arrested them, put them in jail. But they couldn't hold them because of the glory of the Lord, because of what had happened and the crowd who had seen the amazing miracle that had happened. And so in the end, they released them. And upon their release, and I read this from Acts chapter 4, verses 23, 24, and 31. The Bible says, On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people, and reported all that the chief priest and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. After they prayed, the Bible says, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. When the people of God gather to pray, when they engage with him, the Lord engages with them. The Holy Spirit came upon them and enabled them to preach the word even more. There is another, another example. Paul and Silas, pillars of the early church, Again, scripture tells us that they were on their way to prayer when a girl, possessed by a spirit, started following them and shouting things. In the end, Paul cast out the demon from the girl. But a girl used that power, that demonic power, to make money for her masters. And so her masters proceeded. to arrest Paul Paul and Silas. Made up a false accusation and put him in jail in the end. But we know this from Acts 16, when Paul and Silas were in jail. The Bible says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. The jailer called for the lights and rushed in and fell, trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, "Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of God to them and to all others in his household. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds, Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. They prayed at midnight. They sang hymns to the Lord together. And the Lord came and transformed lives. The Lord comes, brothers and sisters, when we meet to pray. So, what is our response? To all of this, what must we do with this message? And i suggest three things. And a fourth one, which we'll do right here. So we should all develop and nurture a daily prayer life. And we must be intentional. Make it a routine. There's a friend of mine at Redding Family Church who has actually put a chair at a corner of his, one of his rooms in his house to remind him to pray every day. Every time he sees the chair empty, he knows I must sit on that chair and I must pray today. Ati and I and the kids have got a routine of praying every morning at breakfast. Now we're not talking about, you know, 15 minutes or 20 minutes or 30 minutes of prayer, although that is good. But you can start with something very small. Pray for a minute. After all, the Lord's prayer You can't say that in less than a minute, can you not? I think so. And that is the prayer that Jesus Christ himself taught us. He didn't teach us to to pray for 15, 20, 30 minutes. That is good if the Spirit prompts you in that direction. But start with something small. Pray for a minute every day, make it a ritual, and mean it. Because if we do not individually develop a daily prayer life, we cannot collectively develop a collective prayer life. It wouldn't happen. Secondly, I'd suggest that we see prayer, as I said before, as an act of worship. I think when we come to pray, We should focus on God and his attributes, his goodness, his mercy. He's an all-knowing God. He's an all-powerful God. He's the God of eternity, the Trinity. There are so many qualities that we can focus on when we come together to pray or when we are praying alone. That is how we must start our prayer. I'd also suggest that we use few words. Spurgeon, the man I quoted before, he said this, when you pray, you are before the Lord. Your words must be few, but your heart must be fervent. So it's not about how much you say. And Jesus himself in Matthew he said this when you pray, don't use many words like the pagans do because they think that they can be heard. And so Christ tells us to pray with as few words as possible, but we must mean it. There will be times when the Spirit prompts you to pray longer. That is also good. I know I'm guilty sometimes of praying long prayers because I just want to worship. And just proclaim the Lord and how good he is. But there are times when I can cut it short. Pray with few words. Kneel before him. As Solomon did. And the entire people did. And there are more examples in, in the New Testament. The early church. I'll just give you one. When Paul left the elders of the church in Ephesus, Scripture says they gathered together for for Paul, so he can say his farewell to them, knowing that he would never see them again. And the Bible says they knelt together to pray. They They could have done this praying, but they knelt together as a group to pray. You can see that in Acts chapter 20, verses 36 to 38. We also see the same Paul when he traveled a little bit on after meeting the elders of the Ephesian church into a city called Tyre in Syria. He spent seven days with the church there. And when he was ready to leave, the entire church accompanied him to the harbor, to the beach. And there... Scripture says they all knelt together. Men, women, children, they all knelt together on the beach. It was probably wet where they knelt, but they didn't mind. They did it anyway. So let us humble ourselves when we pray as as our act of worship. Thirdly, I'd recommend that we make the church prayer meetings a part of our prayer life. We meet on the first Wednesday of each month, mostly. There are variations here and there, but mostly... And we make it a part of our own prayer life. Not the church's prayer meeting, but my prayer meeting and your prayer meeting. And so you make, you make an effort to attend, to go. So we join up together and pray. Live groups, they pray as well when they meet. If you are not part of one, I'd, I'd suggest to you, please, would you consider joining one? And when they pray... Engage in that prayer. Pray with them. On Wednesdays, every other week, there is a prayer meeting at 6 a.m. at Owen and Jenny's. Now that's a sharp time, 6 (laughs) a.m. But we meet to pray for one hour, 6 to 7 why don't you add that to your own prayer life? Why don't you join us to pray? Because it will do you good. And over time, you'll find that it is not such a burden waking up at 5.30 and driving to Owen and Jennings. It becomes a part of how you live out your prayer life. Because, friends, Prayer works. I have been at prayer meetings when hands have been laid on people and they have been healed. I have been at prayer meetings where tears have been shed and arms have been been put around people to comfort them. I have been at prayer meetings when the Lord Himself, in His good grace, has given His people word, prophecy, to encourage them and to build them up. I have been at prayer meetings when the Holy Spirit has come and convicted some. And they, without thinking that the church will judge them, have come forward. I've said, Guys, can you pray for me? I did this, it's been weighing on me, and nobody has judged them. Because we know that we are all sinners. All of us are sinners. I've seen prayer meetings when people have prayed and lifted up their voices to God and prayed and left the whole place with such joy. I have been at prayer meetings when we have taken turns to bless one another, to encourage them. I have been at prayer meetings when we have taken turns to pray into some of us facing difficult situations. And the Lord had answered. So prayer works. Prayer works. And so I'll ask you and all of us that we pray now as we seek to be like a community that resembles the early church, where they devoted themselves to God's word, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread. And to prayer, we need to pray into it.